0: for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church, Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, um, if you follow a church calendar at all, you know what today is? What did you say? Pentecost. What did you say? Pentecost. Ah, yeah, Pentecost. And... Um, We're going to just be looking at, uh, we've been looking at encountering the Holy Spirit in different ways, and this morning we're looking at the subject of encountering the Holy Spirit in power. Now, turn to the person and say to them, have you got it all? A very famous preacher a number of years ago said to another generation, he said, if you've got it all, then where is it? If you've got it all, then where is it? And that's a question that's always good to ask of ourselves, uh, particularly as church, a church that is, believes in the charismatic. It's very easy to, to get to the point of knowing the doctrine but lacking the experience. Or if we have known something of the experience to perhaps enter into a dry season and not know how to come out of it, and just surrender to that as our norm for the time. And I want you to turn your Bible, because I think it would be really good to just read the story of Pentecost uh, from the beginning, and and just hear it. It's one of those stories that um, every time I read it, it never ceases to amaze me. And I have read it, I don't know how many times. And every time I read it, I'm struck by the the life and the power and the vibrancy of it. So Acts uh, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we read these words. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Pentecost took place 50 days after Passover. Okay, Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. They were shut away for fear. Uh, They were also shut away because Jesus has said, don't do anything until he has come in the power of the Spirit. And so there they were, shut away, and suddenly there's this sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it comes from heaven, and it fills the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, being distributed and resting on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to speak. So there they are, 120 of them gathered together. There they are, in, in, they've been seeking the face of God. They've been waiting on the promise of God. And there they are. I wonder how often they thought, well, guys, should we just go and get on with it? He hasn't come yet. Perhaps we've got him. Maybe we should just go and get on with it. But they persisted in prayer through those days, and then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, suddenly there they were assembled in that place, the sound of a rushing mighty wind, tongues of fire sitting on each of them, and suddenly they all began to speak in languages which they had never learned. And a little bit later, as we go down through the passage, we read this. Now dwelling in Jerusalem, there were Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were confounded, because each man heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed, and they, they marveled, saying to each other, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one in our own native language? There are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and De Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our languages the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to each other, what does this this mean? And others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Could you have the same accusation thrown at you this morning, that you are full of new wine? It's rather rather silent there, isn't it? (laughs) Okay. Could you have that accusation made of you this morning? There was something about this people when the Spirit came upon them that the world looked on and said, "Something's happened here." It wasn't just as it were, if you like, a faith thing that they just believed and pretended it had happened. something dynamic had happened in their midst, And the world looked on, heard it and saw it. And they said, "Hang it, wow, well, this time in the morning, you know, what's going on here?" It's like they're behaving as if they've been filled with new wine. And Peter, in the next verse, standing up with the eleven, lifts up his voice and he says to them, Men of Judea and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's the third hour of the day. It's too early. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, says God, that I will pour out my spirit On all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." So this outpouring of the Spirit has an impact upon the people of God that they might have an impact upon the world that the gospel might go out and people be saved. That is why the Spirit was given. But there's some wonderful words there, isn't there? I love... You know, I I, I love thinking about God. I I love thinking about him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love thinking about God as as one in three persons, very real persons, very dynamic persons. I love thinking about that. And then I read words like, pour out. And I think, how is God poured out? And I say that because I, I want to suggest to you that some of our problems sometimes is with language. How do we comprehend God as a person suddenly being poured out and a bit later in the Acts of the Apostles falling upon people? Because you kind of, like, you want to box... We we want to box things so that we understand God in nice, neat, wonderful ways so that we know what the package is. And then when we read statements like that the pouring out of the spirit how does a person how is a person poured out how does he fall upon and I just want to suggest to you those things because that is something of the dynamic of what we're dealing with when we look at the life and the ministry of the holy spirit upon the early church so The dynamic of the early church was this, it was its experience of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. A quick glance over the book of the Acts and you can't help but realize it It is indeed a powerful book that is inspired and generated by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes upon ordinary people. This is the shock for the, the people who are looking in from the outside. Galileans? Who are they? Speaking in other languages? They don't do that kind of thing. And yet God has come upon them, and there they are, speaking in other languages. Ordinary people, they're filled, they're energized, and as a result, um, people are saved, churches are planted, and that the known world is turned upside down or put the right way up. Because as you read the, the book of Acts, you, you find this happening, that these ordinary people suddenly clothed with power from on high are going out into the world and doing extraordinary things. His presence made their worship intimate, powerful, and engaging. It made their prayers a powerful weapon. And it made them, their witness of force, to be reckoned with, both in word and in deed, as they went out and they proclaimed the gospel, as they went out and healed the sick and cast out demons. It was a mighty force indeed. And, you know, the promise was there right from the beginning. And right back at the very beginning, in the early days of the Old Testament, we get some hints of some things to come. In the Old Testament, the anointing was particularly that which belonged to the kings and the priests and the prophets. But as early as Exodus, you you find Moses in a situation where he gathered a particular group of people and and, and the Spirit comes upon them and then there's two haven't managed to get to the meeting and the Spirit has come upon them outside of the meeting and and they're starting to prophesy and someone comes to Moses and says, "Eh, you know, this isn't right. You know, there, there are two people who are not in the meeting out there and they're prophesying. And his response is, he says, would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. And I've often thought of that as a prophetic statement in, its, in itself, that Moses saw something in God about the nature of the Spirit coming upon people and the release of the Spirit through people, bringing the prophetic word. And of course, as you move through the Old Testament, you think of Ezekiel, where he talks of the Spirit coming and a, a new heart being put into people. You think particularly of the book of Joel, which... Peter has just quoted about in the last days, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The old men and the, the young men, there would be dreams and there would be visions. The, the women folk as well. And, and so you got this sense of the expanding dynamic of the purposes of God in the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we find John the Baptist. John the Baptist it tells everybody that he's not the one. They think he's kind of an amazing guy walking around uh, clothed in strange ways and preaching a powerful message and, and baptizing pers- people, but he's saying, I am not the one. He says, there's one coming after me and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke 3 and verse 16. In John's Gospel and chapter 7, verses 38 37 to 39, we see Jesus uh, saying, If anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, for out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus made an astounding promise that whoever was thirsty could come to him and come in their thirst, and and he would uh, cause a river to flow out of him. And he says that this river would be the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this morning, have you got that river in you? And is the river flowing this morning? Is the river flowing? Jesus, of course, uh, before he he left planet Earth, he taught the disciples because they were concerned that he was going to leave them on their own and they were going to have to get on with it. He said, no, I'm not going to leave you on your own. He said, I'm going to send one just like myself a helper to be with you, a counselor, advocate, an assistant, one to stand by by you and help you and teach you and enable you. And then you've got that amazing instance that right at the end of of John's Gospel, John chapter 20, when the disciples are gathered together and Jesus is commissioning them and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. Hold on to that for a minute. Hold on to that for a minute. And then, in Luke's Gospel, we read these words. Jesus is about to depart, and there they were. He's about to go, and he commissions them to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. But he says this, he says, Don't do anything yet, he says, tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. There's an important point to note there. You know, we love the word in this church and we believe in the importance of preaching, of expounding the word, of opening it up. But you know, the word is not everything and I don't mean that in the wrong way. We need Word and Spirit. We need Spirit and Word. And I want you to think about it in this way, just for a moment. You see, these disciples had the best teacher anyone could have had. They had Jesus Christ as their teacher for three years. They sat with Him. They walked with Him. They served alongside of Him. He taught them day in and day out. And yet, in many ways, He was saying, that is not enough. You need more than the Word. You need the Holy Spirit in you. You need the presence of God in your life, in your ministry. We love the Word. I love the Word. There's a danger for me because I can can spend too much time in that direction if it's possible to spend too much time in that direction, if you'll understand me. And sometimes God has to challenge me and, and draw me back. Richard, are you drinking? Are you at that place where you are receiving of the Spirit, knowing uh, his infilling. We mustn't confuse what what was taking place in in Acts uh, chapter 2 with conversion. Uh, They were already Christians. They weren't waiting to become Christians. They were waiting to be endued with power for mission. It wasn't about education. It was about enabling. And even when you look at Paul's letter to the Romans... Uh, where at the beginning of his comprehensive letter on the gospel, you, you probably can't get a more comprehensive expounding of the nature of the gospel and its benefits for us as Christians. Right at the beginning of that letter, he says, one day, brothers and sisters, I want to come to you because I want to bring something to you by way of spiritual impartation, by way of spiritual gifting. And he closes the letter in the same way. By saying, I I hope to come in the fullness of Christ, in the grace, fullness of the grace of Christ. Why? Because he wants to come and impart something to them. It's not just a word, it has to do with power. And so we see something of the nature of what's going on there. Some spiritual gift so that they may be encouraged. Coming in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's more. Well, you didn't sound very sure of that. I think you need to say it again. Turn to the person next to you and say, there's more. And again, turn to the person behind you and say, there's more. You see, we love the Word. We love the grace of God. We love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Sometimes there's a tendency to say, well, surely if I have Christ, I have everything. So why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do I need to to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The fact is that in Scripture, there is a very real sense that we do have everything in Christ. And yet, and yet, brothers and sisters, there is a sense that there is more. There is more. Wherever you are at at the moment, there's more. Wherever you are at at the moment, there is more. Don't let the devil tell you to settle where you are. Amen? Amen. Don't let the devil tell you to settle where you are. There's more. There's more for every one of us. And that's the wonder of this great realm of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and continual fillings of the Holy Spirit. There is more. Hallelujah. Does it undermine the finished work of Christ to say there's more a thousand times? No. It's what He died for. It's what He purchased through the shedding of His blood. This wonderful fullness of the blessing of God. Jesus died not only for our salvation, but for our empowerment and gifting. They too are benefits of the cross. Not something else, not something extra. They're part and parcel of it all. There is more. Just a quick one through then. So we've had a quick look at Pentecost. And we've seen there that these disciples, and let's reference back, whom Jesus had already breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They weren't empty words. Something happened in that room at that moment and they received something of the Holy Spirit and yet somehow not all of what God was promising them because Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So bearing that in mind, I, I want you to see that there is more. So Jesus breathed on them, said, receive the Spirit. They received something. And yet he's saying, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. There's more. And we'll see uh, more as we go through. You think of those who were at Samaria. So the gospel comes to Samaria, and we haven't got time to unpack all of these references, but the gospel comes to Samaria. They hear the gospel, they believe, but there's more. And ultimately, they, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can look that up in your own time in Acts chapter 8. Then you come to Cornelius' household. And we know how that Peter went there, uh, led by the Spirit of God, and to, to preach the gospel. And he goes there, this is Acts chapter 10, and he preaches uh, to this gathered community. And as he is preaching the gospel right in front of him, before he's got the time to give an altar call, before he's got time to say, would you raise your hand, would you you say a prayer, the Spirit is working right there in their midst, and suddenly he comes upon them, and they begin to speak in other tongues, and he says, this is just like what happened to us at Pentecost, this is the same thing, when he goes back and reports later on. So you've got Cornelius's, tremendous. So they are born again and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Spirit in a moment, in a fraction of time as they are hearing the gospel. Then you think of, uh, of, um, of Ephesus and Paul going to Ephesus and finding there a, a group of believers who had who had believed and were, at this moment in time, limited to John's baptism. And I don't want to get into a big discussion about the nature of what's going on there. But the crucial factor is the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And the implication in that question is that you may not. You may not. So the question there is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Or another version translates, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So there's all sorts of things that we could unpack in those passages but just to get the picture here that there is a promise and there is a fulfillment. You see uh, in in Acts chapter 6 you see that when uh, the the apostles were beginning to be overburdened with the work of ministry and there were certain demands arising within the church and they realized they couldn't do everything. And so they, 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 they think about looking out for what we tend to call deacons, whether that's the right word in Acts chapter 6, we'll park that. But they're they're looking for people to assist in the work of ministry in a very practical way. And what is the the criteria? That they are full of the Holy Spirit. That they are full of the Holy Spirit. And then you read of a particular one a few verses later, Stephen, how he was full of the Holy Spirit and he went preaching the gospel and, and healing the sick. You think of, of Paul's experience in Acts chapter 9 and, and how he, was, he encountered the Holy Spirit. He had become a, a Christian. He had become a follower of Jesus Christ. And there he was waiting this, in this house for Ananias to come and, and help him and, and to, to lay hands on him. He is a Christian. He has faith in Jesus And there he is waiting for Ananias and Ananias comes and prays for him and he experiences the gift of the Spirit. We find a little bit later on that there is a sense in which he is filled again with the Spirit in Acts 13 verse 9 that as he is confronting Elymas the sorcerer, the Spirit fills him and enables him to speak the word of God that deals with this particular situation. Um, And so we could go on. You read of the disciples at Antioch of Pisidia, how that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and joy. There is a connection between the Holy Spirit and joy. Yeah? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. It wasn't easy for them, but in a sense, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. In my own personal experience, I, I grew up in a Christian background. I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I can, I can remember sitting in, in chapel, as we called it, and thinking, there must be more than this. There must be. There must be. I saw and I I love the people and the saints around me. I I thank God for their witness. But I thought there must be more than this. The traditional ritual that we went through every Sunday. And then when I read my Bible and, and saw what went on there. I remember reading the story many years later of John Wimber going to church and then saying to the, the pastor, When's the stuff going to happen? <laughs> you know, when's, when, when's, what, what stuff? Well, this stuff, the stuff that we see in here, when, when's that going to happen? I remember I'd sit in church and wonder about it. And then I encountered spirit filled people. I thought, wow these people have something that I don't. And God began to create a thirst and a hunger in me. And then I I was prayed for, and sometime later, it's a a bigger story, but to to condense it, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues, the presence of God. Where I used to work, uh, I can remember I used to work closely closely with my boss, and, and he knew I went to church, and uh, if I was working with him, he he would he would he would quiz me this way, that way, and the the other. He would talk about anything—politics, religion, anything. He was he would have you on your toes. And uh, so, if you're working with him, it would be what do you think of, etc., etc. And I remember him saying he used to say to me, Richard, you go to church. What do you believe? And I would say, uh, this is what they believe. And he said, no, I don't know know what they believe. I want to know what you believe. And I just never had that confidence to say. And then I got baptized in the Spirit. I couldn't wait for such a question. <laughs> couldn't wait for such a question and had many conversations with him and his wife. And, uh, but yeah, you, you have to know what I was like prior to who I am today. I was the shyest person you could possibly get on planet Earth. I, I sat in church and waited for people to speak to me. I, I was so shy. I'd go bright red and do all that kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, but then God baptized me in the Spirit. And what a change. What a glorious change. Brothers, sisters, the promise is for every one of us. For every blood-bought child of God. It is your birthright. Don't let the enemy suggest otherwise. And there are some things that, or there are many things that we have to contend for. And this is one of those things. We need to contend for it. And I just want to quickly give you, just very quickly, some potential reasons why we may not receive what god has given to us but the most obvious one is unconfessed sin if we're living in sin in some way watching listening saying or doing things that are grievous to the holy spirit there is no way that we can receive the full power of the spirit of god we need to deal with those things the blood of jesus enables us to deal with it like that and to be in a place of receptivity another thing is we can be filled with other things we can be filled with with jealousy, with bitterness, with, with resentment. If that's the case, we need to, to deal with those things. Another obstacle is, is religious tradition. Perhaps we've grown up in a, in a particular tradition that always done, done things in particular ways and we've been used to kind of a liturgy, whether written or unwritten. And, and this life of the Spirit kind of freaks us out. The emphasis was upon rituals, but when we talk of the life of the Spirit, it's kind of explosive, and we we don't know quite what's going to happen. Another is legalism, the idea that we somehow earn what God gives to us. So we're performing all the time, trying to earn it. Another is theological, and if there's anyone who was going to get it theological, it was me. My background made me search the Scriptures to see whether these things be so. And I spent a huge amount of time working, trying to work out the ins and outs of the, the doctrine of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But he got there before I did. <laughs> uh, you know, because I became so hungry and so desperate for God, at the end of the day, it's like, I, I don't get it, I want you, God. And I want all of you that I can possibly have. So, it can be theolo- the- theological. It can be intellectual pride, which is connected to that the desire to, to work it all out, to be able to, to put it in nice, neat packages and to understand it. It can be fear of the supernatural. What, what will happen to me when the Spirit comes? I don't know. But God is love. And God comes in many wonderful, wonderful ways. It can be emotional wounds. It may be that there's something deep within us that is preventing us from really receiving the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit comes, he very often does touch our emotions. He touches the inner depths of our being. And he wants to bring healing there. It can be that we're full of self. Life is all about us. It's it's about our agendas. It's about what we're going to do tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. And God is kind of... Second on the list, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to a compromised heart. He comes to a, a yielded heart. A heart that says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It can be that we're focusing on a particular experience. We're striving hard for tongues or to feel something in some way. And that, that's the problem because we're, we're striving for the, the evidence or the thing rather than God himself. And just If that's you, I just want to encourage you to focus on God. Turn your heart and mind to him. Don't, don't try and go down the focus of trying to get things. Why don't we just stand? If the musicians would like to, to come up and... Let's, let's continue in the presence of God. If any of those things speak to your situation in your heart, just begin to deal with them so that they don't block the flow of the river. Just deal with them. We sing the song, The Cross Has Said It All, and the cross has said it all with regard to all our failings. Just, just just, come into the grace of God. Come into the grace of God. If that's you at this moment in time who, through sin, you're not, you're not receiving. Just, just come in that place of repentance and receive God's forgiveness and God's cleansing where you are. The Holy Spirit is a cleansing stream as well, an empowering one. And there are lives here this morning that he wants to cleanse there are things that you've given your heart and your mind to and you know that they're not right. And Pentecost is as much about cleansing as empowering. Maybe this morning that you've, you've had an intellectual problem, you're trying to work it all out in your head and, and I want to just encourage you to trust the word of God. Trust the Father's heart. Trust Jesus. And allow him to come to you as he will this morning and to fill you. There are people here this morning who have never encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can do that this morning. It can be done by standing where you are and just waiting on God. It can be done by people praying for you. It can be done in a number of ways. There are others this morning who you've known something of the baptism of the Spirit, but your rivers run dry. Your rivers run dry. And you need to come again. Come again in all of your dryness. Submit it before the Lord. I am dry. Will you fill me this morning? Will you? Renew the life of God in my soul. River, flow again in my life. So let's just worship and wait on God and and just see what He happens. Sing, all who are thirsty. All who are thirsty.